Spend some time with us as we study the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. did we get here? How did everything around us come into being? Well, we get some wonderful clues in Genesis chapter 1, and that's where we're headed on Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor was just getting started in Genesis, a book about the beginnings. Today, we'll again camp out in the first 12 verses. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to move on from verse 1 today uh, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Six Literal Days of creation and of course the seventh day God rested but six literal days of creation we have part one in Genesis 1 as we're studying through the book of Genesis looking at our beginnings answering questions like where did the earth come from Uh, were we here by accident or by divine design we're asking and answering questions like who am I Where did I come from? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Who is man accountable to? And on and on. And how are we learning? But we're getting to know God. The answer to those questions is understanding the character and nature of God. How has he revealed himself? Genesis has been written by revelation. God revealed these things to Moses about himself. We would never be able to know these things unless God chose to reveal them. And so he reveals them because he loves us. And we're going to get in now to the days of creation. Pick up in Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and he divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So on day one, we have light and darkness. You notice there is the earth. It says the earth in verse 2 is without form and void. And now there are a few different theories uh, that are held by various Christians and theologians related to creation. Let me give them to you so you can be familiar with them. Uh, We're not going to spend a lot of time explaining them, but I do want to give you a summary of them. The first one is a popular one. It's called the gap theory. This began by those who wanted to marry science and creation. And in this theory, some say that Genesis 1-1 reflects the original creation, and between verses 1 and 2 in that little gap there, There is a time of countless ages, and that number always changes because science seems to change over time. And in it's that gap, they insert all kinds of ages that are demanded by the new revelations and calculations of geologists, ending with the glacial age, and and then following from verse 2 on is the account of, they say, of the recreation of earth, 
which this theory just really doesn't lack any biblical substance, but it's popular. The second one is known as the day-age theory. The day-age theory is for some ascribed to a, that those that ascribe to theistic evolution, uh, this is a popular one. They say that the days of creation are not in reality 24-hour days as we know them, but instead each day represents an epoch or an age. And that too lacks biblical and grammatical substance. The final one is what's known as the revelation theory. And in this, some say that the days of creation are indeed, this is an interesting one, they say that yes, they are 24-hour days, but in reality, they're only 24-hour days in the life of Moses. And so in that 24-hour days, now that's how God reveals all the epics of time to Moses in his 24-hour days. I thought that was a fancy one. I, I don't hear too much about it, but it's out there. But I believe... And I believe as a pastor teacher and as a, Bible, as a Bible teacher that it's much wiser to take the Bible at face value and understand the scriptures literally as they're presented to us. There's no need for us to bow to the circumstantial or circular reasoning of the scientific community and all the different things, the humanistic scientific community, uh, that all the different theories that come out to try to fit in what they think is true. This in here. Genesis chapter 1, this is the origin of the heavens, of the earth, of life, of man, of marriage, of family, of nations, of ordinances, of law, of truth. God created everything in six literal 24-hour days, and he rested on the seventh. And here's some foundational understanding. If you're taking notes, you can get the study later. The Hebrew words for day... Yom, which is Y-O-M, and the plural, Yamim, are used 1,900 times in the Old Testament. Of all of those uses, only 65 of them reflect a time period other than a 24-hour day. The six-day work week exists precisely because God worked six days, and on the seventh, he rested. And the Sabbath day, theologically, is an everlasting reminder of God's creative work in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And there's more and more that we'll get into, as you'll see. But understand from the Hebrew use of the words, the way that you determine the definition of a word is the context. And as you read through in the creation story, the true story of creation, you'll see the context reflects day and night, 24-hour days. So notice in verse 2, with that set aside, the earth was without form and void, darkness was on the face of the deep, and then notice, this, we don't want to miss this, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was at work in creation from the beginning. And I like this word hovering. It's only used two other times in the scriptures. The first use is in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. And it says, as an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. And another use of this word is in Jeremiah 23, 9. My heart within me is broken because of the prophets, and all my bones shake, or this could also be translated flutter. It's the same Hebrew word for hover. I'm like a drunken man, like a man whose wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy word. So you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in a very dramatic way in the beginning. Why? Because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are creator. 
And each person of the Godhead is there at creation. And it's not just the Spirit, but the Son was at work too in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him all things were created, speaking of Jesus, by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. So we have right at the beginning the triune God involved together in unity in creation. Jump down. We're not going to look at it today, but jump down to verse 26 in Genesis chapter 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth. And here you have what's called inner Trinitarian dialogue as the Godhead is speaking to one another in the creative process. It's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's also mysterious, isn't it? As we look at them, we go, man, this is amazing what's happening at creation. So here we have, as the Spirit of God is hovering and present and active in creation, I think we can pull out of that a real important reminder for us today in the new covenant following Jesus. And that's simply this. We need to live our lives in the Spirit. We need the Spirit of God hovering in our lives moving in our lives, fluttering in our lives, controlling our lives. Remember what Paul would write to the Ephesians? He says, don't be drunk with wine, which is in excess, but what? Be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. The idea of that word is to be controlled and submitted and led by the Holy Spirit and be obedient to the leading of his Spirit. Would you turn, hold your places in Genesis. Would you turn over to 2 Corinthians with me? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I mean, the life of the Spirit, I've been doing my devos recently in the book of Galatians, and, and I just have been meditating on this passage where Paul tells the Galatians, have you become so foolish that you've begun in the Spirit that you're now trying to be perfected in the flesh? I mean, that's how you began. There, there's no question, every born-again believer, your life as a believer in Christ began in the Spirit. It, the, you, you can't be born again apart from the Spirit. And so here you are, you start in the Spirit, you're following the Spirit, you're open, as you're reading the Scriptures, you're like, Lord, teach me, I want to learn, lead me, speak to me, I got a decision to make, I I, I need, I don't want to wait, you know, give me patience, you're just so dependent, and then over time now, you're no longer so dependent, but you're trying to perfect your lives in your own strength, in your own understanding. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, pick up with me. In verse 4, it says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but listen, our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And I I would just ask you to pray tonight as we are in Bible study, as we close in a few moments, that you would just pray that the Lord would lead you. Some of you need to be led by the Spirit. So you can ask God tonight, I need to be led by you. That's just, this is where God brought you here. He brought you by on the radio or connected to us online. And just like, that's your problem. That's what's been happening. You're not being led by the Spirit. For some of you, you might need to be pray, you might need to pray tonight to be controlled by the Spirit. And the picture of control is exactly what Paul was saying in Ephesians as, and when you're under the influence of alcohol. When you are drunk with alcohol, drunk with drugs, under the, you are under the influence. 
You're controlled by the substance. When you present yourself, Jesus would say, when you present yourself a slave to sin, that's whose slave you become. You're under the control of your sinful desires. You're under the control of who you've presented yourself to. So some of you, you need to pray tonight to ask God to control you by his spirit. For some of you, you need to ask God for guidance. You need to ask, God, would you guide me by your spirit? I don't know which direction to go. I don't know what decision to be made. And you need guidance. For some of you, you need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. A fresh, for some, it's a fresh infilling. For others, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to make you a minister of the gospel. And we'll be sure to pray for that as we end today. But think about what, what is your relationship with the Spirit of God? Consider where you are. If you're in one of those strong places tonight where you're just like, I, none of those really apply to me, Pastor, then you just thank God for His presence of His Spirit in your life. You just thank Him. Say, God, you're so good to me. Even when I don't acknowledge your presence, thank you for not leaving me or forsaking me. You know, when you try to live a life to please God in your own strength and your own plans, another verse popped into my mind today as I was reviewing my notes. I was just thinking, I think it's in the Proverbs, a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And you want to, you want, you, you can make all the plans that you possibly can, but really when it comes down to it, you want to follow the plan of the Lord. You want to follow his steps. So you try to live a life pleasing God in your own strength, in your own plans, in your own methods, and your own flesh, you will fail. And you go, come on, Ed. What do you mean you will fail? Who are you to say that? I'm not. Romans chapter 8, verse 8. Listen to what it says. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. <laughs> so you're in the flesh doesn't please God. It just simply doesn't. That which out, without faith doesn't bring glory to God. But it is a glorious thing from the very beginning. God is trying to show us the emphasis and the necessity of the Spirit. It's, it's a beautiful thing where there's the Spirit of God hovering, fluttering, present, active in creation. And as we read in verse 26, we also see uh, in verse 3, we, we see God saying, let there be light. God speaking, let there be light. Let there be light. You know, 10 times the phrase God said is used in this section. At least 10 times, depending on what translation God said in chapter 1. You know, these 10 commandments, God's commandments, God said, these 10 commandments have never been broken. Never. We'll find years later, there's another set of 10 commandments that no one can ever keep. You just can't keep all 10 commandments. But these continue on even to this day. We live according to these commandments because the words of God have absolute power and authority. Now, you know, absolute power and authority is a good thing. I think parents wish they had this kind of authority where, you know, God says something and it happens. I think parents, like, they want that. You know, parents want, you want to say something and it happens. Son, clean your room. And just, boom, it's automatic. Yeah, not so much. Or perhaps you want you speak in the old King James in your house. Son, let thy room be clean. Like, come on now. You know, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But noticeably, we don't have the same kind of power in our words that God has. And there are those today within Christendom that try to teach falsely that you can command like God commands and God will yield to you. You, know, you can name it and claim it and somehow God will go, oh, Ed said something, we better do it for him. Now, my words don't have the kind of authority. When I pray, when I speak, or when I command or declare or name something, 
I do so in submission to God, not above God. Like, I do so, when I pray, I do pray in Jesus' name. And what I mean by that is, you know what, Lord, you heard what I said. You know what I said. You know what's on my heart. But my summary is, this is, I want it according to your will, not my will. I recognize and I acknowledge that when I come to you, that you are God and I am not. So we have something here in Genesis 1 that reminds us that the word of God is absolute. Not only is the spoken word of God absolute, but so is the written God word is absolute. Uh, you and I, we only have the option to believe it or not. And haven't you found it to be true? When you believe God's word, there's progress in your Christian life. There's progress in your faith. There's victory in your life. When you don't believe, you find yourself wandering the desert. Just like the children of Israel. They, they failed to believe. And the Bible tells us that their 40 years of wilderness wandering was simply because of their unbelief. How much is lost in our lives because of unbelief? How much is lost in our lives because of unbelief? Because as we move forward into the new covenant again, years later, Jesus will say, all authority and power is given unto me. Jesus is the sum of all authority and power. And he demonstrated that he indeed was God in human flesh. And in him is absolute power, absolute authority, absolute action. And when we abide in him, we walk in his authority and in his power. And by faith, we enjoy that which he receives, what that he gives to us. Let me show you again Proverbs chapter 8. Would you turn there with me? Proverbs chapter 8. You know, the absolute power of Jesus. When he speaks to the waters, peace be still, what happens? To the storm, boom, the waters are still. When he commands Lazarus to come out of the tomb, what happens? He's out. Because his words are absolute. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And there's power there. Notice Proverbs chapter 8, verse 25. In Proverbs chapter 8, as you have been doing your reading, you're probably going through the Proverbs. If you do a proverb, one chapter of Proverbs every day, you can go through Proverbs 12 times a year. On, on the eighth day of January, you may have gone through this and you notice that wisdom is given a person, given attributes of a person. You call that personified. You have wisdom personified. Wisdom described with human attributes. And listen to what it says in verse 25. It says, Before the mountains were settled, and before the hills, I was brought forth. While as yet he had made, not made the earth or the fields or the primeval dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above. When he strengthened the fountains of the deep. When he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out foundations of the earth, when I was, I, there I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and my delight was with the sons of men. And again, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22, it says, it's, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, and who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. And here we have in creation different aspects of it being described in, and you can see creation. Not only do you have the triune God there, but you see that creation came forth through the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God existed in God because God has no beginning. 
And then in verse 3, what happens? God says, let there be light. And what? There was light. Now, this is not sunlight. We don't get that until the fourth day. Rather, this is light in and of himself. The revelation of light. Like in, you know, God himself is light, the Bible says in 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light in him is no darkness at all. We get another hint of that as we get to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, verse 4. It says, they will see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. And so light comes and it's just created by God, removing the darkness, removing the gases and just opening up where light can shine forth. And as God is shining forth light, verse four, it says, he saw the light and he declared it. What does your Bible say? To be good. It was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Verse five, God called light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. And if you missed any portion of today's Bible study, you can simply go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Listen and learn when it's most convenient, at the gym, in the car, or as you're getting ready in the morning. Just go to AboundingGraceRadio.com to learn more about that. You can also get our app. It's available on all platforms. This is another way to hear our program. Search for Ed Taylor in your favorite app store. Well, Pastor Ed, there have been many debates and discussions on the Internet, in the classroom, and even in churches about how old the earth is. Does the age of the earth in any way discredit the creation account in Genesis? And do we get any clues in Scripture that would tell us how old the earth is? Well, this is a great question. You know, somebody like Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis, they spend their whole life uh, in this realm of Bible study, and for that I appreciate. Uh, I'm so grateful for ministries like Answers in Genesis. But the age of the earth is directly related to the history that God gives us in His Word. And taking into account the importance of a, of a worldwide flood and how quickly age can be impressed upon something. For example, when Adam and Eve were created, they were created with built-in age. Uh, when you looked at them, they looked as adults and they were one day old. They were one day old, but had the appearance of age. So God is able to do abundantly uh, and impressively above all that we can think or ask. And the age of the earth is truly needs to submit to the scriptures, not the scriptures submit to scientific theory. Uh, and those are areas where, again, men like Ken Ham uh, go into much greater detail, and I would defer to men like that that live in that realm. But if we allow the Bible to say what it says, the way it says, then we can trust the Word of God uh, and allow the age of the earth to be submitted to the Word, not scientific theory or experimentation. And again, the real reality is not so much the age of the earth, but the real reality is the age of your life. Are you born again? How many years have you been walking with the Lord? How many years have you submitted your life to Jesus Christ? That's the most important age. Are you born again and for how long? And if you aren't born again today, 
I want to invite you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You see, God so loved you that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I hope you don't perish by repenting of your sins and submitting your life to him. If you'd like more information on what it means to follow Jesus, contact us. Our website is calvaryco.church. That CO stands for Colorado. calvaryco.church. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. Each month, we'd like to suggest a book that will encourage you in the Lord. And this month, it's Spiritual Leadership by Oswald Sanders. What does God look for in a leader? Well, this wonderful book will lead you to the answer. With over a million copies now sold, it stands as a proven classic for developing leadership. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your support that we're able to present this radio program on stations all across the nation. Call 877-30-GRACE, and we can help you with the ordering details. Or go to our online store at calvaryco.store. We'll return to the Old Testament next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.